as we, as I have spent a lot of time thinking about this morning and God, what do you want? I have struggled greatly. Uh, this has been, it's been a, it's been a tough last few days. Just asking God, what do you want? What do you want your people to hear? And what are you going, what are you going to speak to them? And uh, so He brought me to Psalm 145 earlier this week, and He kind of left it at that for a long time. Um, and so I've I've struggled with with this message, and and I just am asking that He would be glorified. If you look at the the uh, the outline, it's pretty pretty bare. Um, and uh, I didn't even give Julian the title. It's just Psalm 145. And, uh, and so we're actually going to be in the beginning of Psalm 145. The title of this sermon is The God Who is Worthy of Our Praise. Okay, so, and, and just in case something goes differently, uh, I just want to give you actually the, the details of the outline. So if you'd like to fill these in, um, I'm just going to give those to you now so we can just have those available to you at, at, your, at your need. Um, so the first one is Psalms. What are they there for? We'll dive a little bit into Psalms and see what they are. And then it says, praise is our daily work. Praise is our daily work and praise is our daily speech. So now you have that and you can write more to yourself as God speaks to you. If you want to take notes, you're welcome to do that as well. And, uh, and in my life, I have had an increasing desire to know God. Not, not just know a lot about Him, but really to know who He is. And I want to worship Him for the God that He is. And and. My desire has been, as I have prayed much over these last days and, and months just for our church family, that we would have that, that we would have an increasing, ever-increasing desire for God, and that we also would worship Him in light of what He shows to us of Himself. And so I'm going to read Colossians 1, just a portion of it over you guys, as this is where my heart is, and something that I, that I long for us to see this morning. And so Paul says to the church, to the Christians in Colossae, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Asking God, show us that we might understand who you are, that we might understand your will. So, says so, so we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We might be bearing fruit in every good work, and here's the peace, and we might be increasing in the knowledge of God. And so my desire is that today would be a day that we would increase together in the knowledge of God. God has made us to praise. He has created us as creatures of praise, and instinctively we give our praise to something or someone. But the issue, the issue for us is that we have diverted the praise that was due God and we have moved it to something else. We see that all the way back in the Garden of Eden where the praise that was meant for God shifted and turned away from Him and began to focus on something else. In Romans 1 we see what Paul says and what God's Word says to us. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling things that he has made. God says in Isaiah 48, he says, My glory I will not give to another. God is passionate about his praise and about his glory. You see this theme of praise throughout the Bible, throughout the entire Bible. 
And we see this constant tension happening as we read. The question is, will, will the people that God has made, will they worship Him, the Creator, or will they worship something else? And this tension is played out as we see it biblically for as the people walk away from God, they turn back to Him. And then it seems like only a matter of time before their eyes are again shift to something else. And so we see that tension, and that tension is close to us because we know that tension. In our culture, our culture tries to teach us what should we worship, what should we give our praise to, constantly diverting us away from the one who has made us to worship him to something else. And so as our culture teaches us, they teach us who to praise, what to praise. Praise praise the American idol. Praise maybe the next top model. Praise the creation, the body. To praise the body. Praise the businessman who's climbed the stepladder of success and is at the top. Praise him, for he's got it all together. Praise the sports or the music superstar. Praise the television or movie celebrity. Maybe you like to hunt. You praise that buck. You want to get that buck. Everything that you have goes to him. And you hope to get him this fall. Or maybe you love books, and so you praise the author of the best-selling book series of the year. That's who you give your praise to. And how do we praise them? Just like the people of Israel turned away from God, we also turn away from Him and give our affection, give our attention, give our devotion, give our speech, give our love to something other than the one who is worthy of it. And then we see the fullness of our rebellion against God in that we don't only desire to worship other things, we desire to worship ourselves. And so we... We live in such a way as to elevate ourselves to the throne of our own lives. That we might be praised, that we might have the crown, that we might be in control. And so we we praise ourselves and we're quick to act in such a way that others would see us and would be quick to praise us. But who is worthy of our praise? Who is the one who is worthy of our praise? And is it really us? Is it really something else that has been created I have asked God today that today would be a day that He receives all of our attention, all of our affection, all of our devotion, all of our speech, and all of our love. That today would be a day that He would be glorified, that He would be magnified before us, and that we would be brought to praise Him and to honor Him more than we ever have before, and that that would bring change in our lives. Not just today, but every day after that, that we would see more of who He is. And as we look to answer the question, who is worthy of our praise, I thank God because he did not leave us ill-informed as to the one who is worthy of our praise and he did not leave us ill-informed as to how we are to praise him. He gives us a whole book in the Bible called Psalm. Psalms in the Old Testament, if you flip open your Bible, it's about the halfway mark. You can see where mine is. Just flip it open. Likely you'll land there. Psalm is is a compilation of 150 poems all put together for us. And these poems are not primarily meant to teach, although they do teach us much about God and and who He is and what He has done. Primarily, they're meant to be sung. We see in 2 Chronicles 29, 30, Hezekiah, the king of God's people, commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer, both of whom wrote psalms. And those men sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and they worshipped. They worshipped God. And so we want to do the same, but the challenge is that originally it was written in Hebrew. And I don't know Hebrew. I wish I did. Um, And so the way it was written was 
as we would write poems, there's rhythm and there's flow and there's words that carry significance and there's words that sound similar to others and we, we lose all that. But there's something that we don't lose, although it's difficult for us to understand the way it was originally intended to be sung or memorized or spoken. We, we have some connection with the Psalms, which I think is why God draws us to them as we seek to praise Him, as we speak to speak of the things of Him. We, we have connection with the authors because the same God who created them and gave them emotion is the same God who created us and gives us emotion. These Psalms are very emotional. If you read them out loud with some emotion, you will see greater depths of the, the, the individual that's writing. You'll see greater depths of the situation that they're in. And, and we also can connect with the situation that they're in because we're, we're alive. We're, we're on this earth. The, th- the things that they dealt with, we deal with. Not all of them, maybe, at least not here, but many of them. And so we have connection with them. The word psalm in Hebrew actually means praise in English. And so we find a wide range of emotion within the psalms expressing our feelings to God. From the lowest valleys of sadness and depression to the highest mountaintops of joy and gladness, we have that range of of emotion that we can speak. And the thing that I love about the book of Psalms is that Psalm, because it means praise, we can praise God no matter what the situation is, whether it's the valley or whether it's the mountain peak, we can praise Him. These Psalms also shape our emotion. They give us, they do give us voice as to, you know, if you've been in the valley or in the mountaintop, you maybe don't know what to say. You, you just have these feelings. You don't know how to express them. Psalms can be our, our way to express that to God. And at the same time, as we speak these psalms, they begin to shape the way that we think, the way that we feel towards God. They're not only a voice, but they are, they are what begins to change us. They are what God uses to change us as we think of them. Let me give you a few examples. The psalmist in Psalm 42 is, is depressed because of the oppression of his enemies. And he says to himself, to his soul, he says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul, within me? Why are you at turmoil? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, he says. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David says in Psalm 23, as he's, as he's thinking of God and as he's thinking about these situations in his life, many of you are familiar with this, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then this is what he speaks to himself. Because you are with me, God. Again, in Psalm 103, David says this. He says to himself, to his soul again, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your disease. Who redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with everything that is good. And so God gives us these psalms that we can speak. We can proclaim them. And as we speak them to ourselves and as we speak them to each other, we are changed. And so I encourage you, if you, if you haven't or if you, if you haven't started, or maybe you find it difficult to memorize, I encourage you to memorize Scripture. Just slowly, whatever pace you need to, just begin to memorize it. And, and, and what I like to do so that it might be on my lips often, that it might sink in, rather than just take a piece of paper out and read it, I want to pray that. I want to, whatever those words are, I want to praise God in that. As people come into my life on a daily basis, I want to speak those words. Just even like, not forcing them in, but 
But if I'm singing praise to God, this is who I am, this is what I'm passionate about, I'm just going to speak that to you and let you hear that. For sure, a brother or sister in Christ, that it might encourage us, but also our neighbors, people who don't know God. I, I love to be able to do that, that I might just speak of the things of God with people I come in contact with. They will know where I stand. They will know who I worship. It won't be concealed to them. And so as we chew on the beginning of Psalm 145 today, I hope that no matter what place you're at in life, whether it's a valley or whether it's a mountaintop, that God would show us more of his holiness, that he would change us, that we would be brought to remember the things that he's done and that we would never cease to sing his praise and his glory. So let's pray. Father, we praise you for the psalm that you have given us, that we can worship and sing your praise even when we lack words, God. We can express how we are feeling because of the words you have given to us. And as we preach those to ourselves and as we proclaim those, God, you, you change us, you shape us, you, you show us more of who you are, that we might honor and worship you more because you are the God who is worthy. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move through the preaching of your word, that they would be your words, and that you would work in the hearts of everyone here, including me, and that we would not be unchanged as we leave this place. God, that you would be exalted within us and that we would speak of your glory. In the name of Jesus, we praise you. Amen. So the book of Psalms is broken up into five sections. The last two sections are specifically like public praise, things to be done corporately with other believers as we praise God. The last six Psalms of, of the book, 45 through 50, are specifically praise Psalms to God. And we'll see, you see, and if you look at it from 46 to 50, to 150, 146 to 150, you'll see the Hebrew word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And that word is at the beginning of the psalm, and that word is at the end of the psalm. So there's no confusing. This is who we are praising, God, we are praising you. And, uh, and each of those passages, those last passages, specifically speak to, to these things. They speak to who God is, they speak to what deeds he has done. They speak to who is called to worship him. That's awesome. All peoples, all kings, everyone, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything he's made, the beasts of the field, all are to praise you, God. And then it gives us how we are to praise him, which is, which is awesome. God, I want to know how to praise you. I want to know the way that you receive praise so that I can, so that I can speak that. And so as we dive into 145, we see this as kind of a foundational, moving us into the rest of the praise psalms. And, that, and to help give us a flow of kind of where David's going, I just want to lay before you the first three verses. We see who God is, we, or we see the proclamation of God. This is God, this is who you are. We see the response because of that. And then lastly, we see why. Why, why should I praise you, God? So let's start with those first three Verses, and we're just going to go right through them. One, two, three verses. So if you want to follow along, that's a, that's a great outline. We'll just use that outline for today instead of the one that I gave us. Um, so we start with who God is. David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. From the beginning, we see who's the one that we're praising? My God and my King. You are the one that we are praising. And the word extol, it actually means to, to lift high to be higher, to be lifted higher. And so that's what we're doing. We're placing God on the throne. This tension, remember, we're not placing ourselves there. We're placing God on the throne. God, you are the king. You are the one who belongs on the throne and we humble ourselves before you. Uh, David, or excuse me, there's a psalm, Psalm 99.5. 
says, exalt the Lord, worship at his footstool, holy is he. So if that doesn't give you a picture of the lifted highness of God, I'm not sure what does. God, you are holy. I'm going to enter into your throne room. And where can I enter into? The lowest of the low. I am at your footstool, God. You are lifted high. I extol you. I was spending some time with a brother this week, and we were talking about life, just sharing life with each other a little bit more, what's happening, and we got on the topic of pride. And one thing that we were in agreement on is that as I commune with God, as we commune with God, we, we either, either in prayer or in praise and worship to Him, we must humble ourselves. We are forced to humble ourselves. We can read the Scriptures proudly, sort of, but as we spend time with God and as we hear from Him, if we're not reading the Scriptures to hear from Him, if we're just reading Him to, to gather information maybe, we can do that proud and we can be arrogant in that. But as we come into the presence of God and as we pray, we, we, we proclaim our need for Him. As we worship Him, we proclaim who He is, what He has done. Proverbs 16 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to God. So God, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be arrogant. I want to be humble before you. And even in my own life, as I've experienced times in, in the presence of God, just worshiping and giving Him praise, in, in that moment, not any other time, but in that moment, in the holiness of God, He shows me something. He shows me this sin this last week that I justified, that I maybe swept under the rug and tried to conceal. As I enter into the holiness of God, He shows me that. And as I sing His praise, He shows me that. And he says, I, I hate sin. I hate sin. I am the opposite of sin, and you have sin hidden. Expose that. Maybe even I've, I've confessed that, but yet what does James 5 tell us? It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so, God, I don't need to confess this. Yes, you do need to confess this. That you may be healed. Do I want to be healed of this? Yes. So he brings me to do that. And, and the mercy of God as he does that is awesome because as he does that and as I confess that and as I repent and as I see who he is, more clearly who he is, more clearly who I am, he says, and you are my son. He says, I love you. The word God says, he rejoices over us. He rejoices over his people. And so that's who we are. We are your children, God. So as we enter into this psalm, we see at the beginning, I will stole you my God and my King. God, Elohim, the creator of all things, the one who is worthy. You are God and you also are my King. We don't have kings today, but what do you do to kings? You, you surrender. You, you surrender your allegiance to them. You swear that to them. And we have a King who is good. Not that the demands from us, not, not that demands... Um, like hardship and toil, not that wants to pour out wrath on us, wants to tax us, but a father who is good, who loves us. That's our king. And so we can diligently obey him because of our love and because of our affection for him. And so that's the beginning. I will extol you, my God and my king. And then he goes into the response. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. There's an interesting statement in there. It says, I will bless you, God. That's, that's something that we don't often think about. Most of the time we think, well, God, yeah, God, you bless us. You bless your creation. But in here, I, was, I looked through the word bless. 
And nearly 75% of the times we see the word bless, specifically bless, not blessing, but bless, three quarters of those are us to God. I bless you, God. And what does the word bless mean? It means to kneel. So I'm going I'm to bless you, God. I'm going to kneel before you. The implication there is as I kneel, I'm, I'm adoring you, God. I am adoring you as my king. And so if we want to combat that tension of what wants to steal our praise from God, we combat that by kneeling. We can bless you, God. We can extol you. We can lift you high. We, we even bring ourselves lower when we kneel. And so we bless him. And we, we set our minds, as Colossians 3 says, we seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. Not the things that are on the earth. We set our minds on things that are above. And so let me go on to the third part. Verse 3, why do we praise Him? Why do we praise God? If you guys know me, um, you can ask my wife, you can ask my parents. If you know me well, I don't like to do things without a reason. I, I, I like to have reason. It's like, why do I need to do that? Well, here's the reason. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But even yesterday, it's like, I need the reason. Tell me the reason. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. And I, and I thank God for the reason that He gives us. God, this is who you are. This is what I will do, and this is why I will do it, David says. He says, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His, un- his greatness is unsearchable. God, you are great. I will daily praise you. And if God is so great, then is he not also worthy of our greatest praise? If he is the great God, he is worthy of our greatest praise. He's not worthy of the table scraps that we offer him. He's not worthy of, of the, the remains of what's left of our praise after we praise something else. He is the one who is great. This is why I praise you. You are great, God, and I will give my greatest praise to you. That's what we see here. And in case we begin to think that praising God might become boring as we do that daily, in case we come to think that praising God as we make, as we make it a habit, that somehow we will lessen who, we get, who God is, we'll see less of Him. No, it's not the case because we see here, He says, and your greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable. We can't understand your greatness, God. We seek it. We seek it. But we can't understand your greatness. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 speaks to this. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. It says, For who can know the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? He says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. This is who you are, God. We cannot understand your glory. It says, to him be glory forever and ever. We cannot understand you, God. But we can taste. We can seek after you. We want to seek after you. We want to know more of who you are. Psalm 34, David says, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we taste of you, God. We see that you're good and we hunger for you more and more. And we see David do that in Psalm 63, another expression of his emotion. God, this is what I want from you. He says, Psalm 63, he says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I've seen your greatness. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as if in a dry, a desert, an airy 
excuse me, as if in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I'm in a desert and I'm seeking you. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsting for you, God. And he says here, this is where he sees it. So he says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He's tasted of God. He's seen who God is. And that brings him to more and to more want God, to hunger and to thirst after him. I want to show you something really quick, and, and we're not going to get to all the psalm, just through verse 7, but look at verse 18 and 19. Depending on your version, you might not read the same, but it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. It says, He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And he also hears their cry and saves them. What's the desire? What is the desire? Verse 16, look up. says, you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. My desire, the way that God has created me, my desire is for him and to see him. And so what does it say? He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. God, I want to fear you. If I need to fear you in order to be satisfied by you, then, then show me that I might not just revere you. I think we've changed the, the meaning of fear to like reverence. Okay, I think that's part of it, but fear, if I'm fearful, I am scared. Right? That's why the angels like do not fear when they come to people because we are afraid. And so God, I want to fear that I might see your glory, that I might be left wanting more and more and more of you. And so we see God, verse one, we see God, we see our response, and then we see Why? Because of your greatness. And then what happens after that? Verse 4. David says, I have seen your greatness and I cannot hold it in. I need to testify of it. Eleven times in the first seven verses, just in this text, eleven times alone, there are words that express praise to God. He says, I will extol. I will bless. I will bless. I will praise. I will commend. I will declare. I will meditate, which means to murmur or to utter to oneself. I will speak. I will declare. I will pour forth and I will sing aloud. All of those praises. I am speaking to God. This is who you are, God. And because David's seen his greatness over and over and over, he wants more and more and more of him. And not only David, but others as well. Others join in to that. And what are we to praise God for? Eight times in the last four verses, verses four, five, six, and seven, eight times we have reasons why we are to give praise to God daily through our speech. And here they are. We praise you, God, for your works, for your mighty deeds, for your majesty, for your wondrous works, for your awesome deeds, for your greatness, for your abundant goodness, for your righteousness. Those are the reasons that we praise you. David understands that the greatness of God needs to be spoken, it needs to be proclaimed, it needs to be remembered. What he's done, it needs to be spoken of today. God works then, and he works today. And so we need to give testimony of his greatness. And so the first the first one, verse 4, he says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So I'm not, there's a couple of stories, a couple of testimonies I want to give to you guys. In light of this, in light of this passage, you want to declare the praises of God. So I'm going to give you a story. The story is back in Joshua. Okay? So if you're unfamiliar with who Joshua is, the, the people of God are, are in captivity in Egypt. 
And God hears their cry, their constant cry to him. And because of his promise to one of their forefathers, Abraham, to bring those people to a promised land, okay, God raises up Moses within them and he leads them out of Egypt. And they come up to the promised land. They send in spies. The spies come back and the majority of them say, let's not go in. There, there is a fearful and dreadful people in there that, that will crush us. And so they disobey God's command to go in and then God takes them into the wilderness for 40 years. And because of Moses' sin, when they come up to the promised land to the Jordan River, which separates the promised land from where they are, okay, when they come, um, Moses is prevented to go into that. And so God raises up another leader, Joshua, who takes his place. Okay, so we have the people coming up to the river to cross in. Before, they didn't want to go in because of their rebellion. Now they want to go in, but there's this river. And it's not just this lazy Susan. Is that this lazy river? I don't know, lazy Susan. That's a chair, right? Okay, it's not just... It's not a chair. It's not just this lazy river, okay? It's, it's a river that is flowing fast. There is great force. It says the waters had gone over the banks. So this river is huge. There's, there's like a million people here waiting to go in. How are we going to go in? God, we can't go in. We're going to drown. We're all going to wash down. We're going to end up in Egypt somewhere, wherever the river leads to. The Dead Sea, I think. Yeah, the Dead Sea. So, um, so we're, at the, we're at the river, and God says... Take the Ark of the Covenant, which, which, which has the covenant that I've given to you, the commandments within it. The Ark of the Covenant is eventually will be in the temple where the presence of God will dwell. Okay, take that. Walk. Have the priests carry it. Walk into the river. And as they step into the river, the waters will dry up. I will hold back the waters from you. And so they step into the river, and they are holding this, this Ark. I don't know how they held it. I think... So there's long poles on both sides. I'm sure they held it on their shoulders. Because think about a million people. Do you think they spread all the way out and walk across all at once? No, they're likely they're funneled in. Like elk or something, just walking in a straight line. So you have this, this probably this massive area, but that they're all crossing. And so you're holding this thing for probably an hour or more for these people to cross. And then Joshua, God says to Joshua, okay, now, now I want you to, before they come out and the waters come back, I want you to send in one man from each tribe of the people of Israel. I want you to send them into the river, and I want them to take a stone. And as they take a stone, I want them to come out, okay? And I want you to assemble those stones in such a way as they, they stand up. It's not just a heaping pile, but there is intention here. And so they put these stones up. Why do they put these stones up? Joshua 4 says that, so that when your children come and pass by these stones and they say, Dad, what is that about? This is what he says. Let me flip there really quick. Dad, what is this? What do these stones mean? They ask says, then you will let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan River on dry ground as they're looking at the river. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea. He did something similar at the Red Sea as they passed through it, which he dried up until they had passed over that as well. So that all the peoples of the earth, this is why, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the Lord is mighty and you are to fear him, your God. 
So we see that. And I don't know if you guys have ever put one of these up or seen one of these. These things are, it's, it's pretty crazy. You can have the strongest wind come through here and not one stone falls down. I haven't tested this. I can't just say, okay, God, give me 80 miles an hour. Let's see if this can hold. But I drove to Crown uh, for a long time as I worked there, Crown College. And every day I would pass by and this one house had some bigger, a little bit bigger stones, but they had a small one on top like this. And every day I drove past there, not once did I see those stones on the ground, even after the greatest storm that we had. It says those stones are still here today. And so my challenge to us is, as we remember is, God, what is our stone pyramid? So that when our children or when our neighbors or when someone else enters into our home maybe, what does this mean? Why? That's kind of weird. Let me tell you what that means. This is the God that I worship. This is what he has done. So I get a chance to take advantage of speaking of the glory of God, proclaiming his greatness and his wonder. God, this is who, who you are and I will exalt you and I will let others know that as well. I will speak your great deeds to generations. There's another, uh, let me read the next portion. Verse 5, it says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. What does that even look like? God, show us. And on your works I will meditate. There's a brother of mine, um, a brother in Christ who is young in the faith and often when I see him is he is discouraged. So often I see him and he is really discouraged. He at times even speaks the way that he did before, like why do I even exist? He's a single man. He's been divorced. He has a couple children that aren't, one's kind of close, others aren't. His, his mom lived with him for a couple years or for a while and she just passed away like a year and a half ago. And and he's discouraged. And, and, and as we spent time together, just the Lord brought this to mind. He, he is discouraged because he doesn't know my greatness. He, has, he doesn't remember what I have done. And so because I was able to be with him shortly after he became a believer, he was able to testify of the specific things that God had done in his life. And so I said, what you need to do is to go to the grounds and sit down and wait for God to, someone, to bring someone to you or you go find someone else that's sitting by themselves. And you need to testify of the greatness of God and what he has done. This brother was, was he drank a lot of alcohol. He drank with his buddies. Um, he was into lust and pornography. Uh, and, and there's other things. And those two specific things he said, when I believed, and he grew up in the church, he said, when I believed, those things were gone. Came home, threw out that garbage, dumped all my beer and alcohol down the drain, Went to my friends, although it was difficult. He said, I didn't, I didn't do it the way that I had hoped. Um, graciously, he just came to them and said, you know, I love you guys, but I, I don't want to be with you as you drink because cause I don't want to do that anymore. And I said, you need to go and to speak those things, to declare the works of God. And as you do that, you will meditate and you will be reminded of the glorious splendor of his majesty and taking you from that. There's a, another, I just want to share another kind of testimony of our life as we think about rem, um, remembering. In Joshua's time, we want to remember and we want to speak of the things today. Many of you know that Sarah is pregnant and we praise God for that. That leading up to that was, um, was pretty challenging. There was a long time, months, that we had been trying to get pregnant and it was super easy with the two boys and God even used our ignorance to give us Titus and so we praise him for that, but yet we thought, shouldn't this be easier? And, and I know there's probably many of you that, that maybe can't have children or haven't been able to, and there's even greater, greater uh, difficulty there and sadness there, but 
but we were, we were pretty crushed, like constantly. Every month, just come through. It's like, okay, it's still not here, God. What's happening? And um, one day, I'm coming. We're having staff lunch, and I come in, and I get my stuff out, and Sarah calls me, and she says, you need to come home now. I'm in, I'm in excruciating pain. I mean, and, and bless her words than that. She is more a groaning and like, come home. I need you. So I go home, and she's hunched over on the couch just in, in extreme pain. And, and I'm like, what's, what's happening? And she can't even hardly speak. She doesn't want to move because it hurts so bad. If she moves, it hurts worse. And she's on the couch, and, and we begin to look a couple things up, what's happening. You know, pregnancy is kind of getting close to the end of the month, and so maybe, but what's, what's going on? So I just begin to pray for her. I have to take a step back. That, that morning, excuse me, the morning of that, I went into work, and this is the... This is the the text that a brother sent to me said, I don't know why I'm sending this to you, but here, here it is. And um, I just feel like God wants me to give this to you and think about, remember, the state of mind that we're in. We're just having trouble getting pregnant. And, and he says this, Psalm 128, verse 3, just a portion. He says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall, be the, man, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. I don't know if you guys know about olive trees, but like a lot of trees, you sever them and, and multiple multiple shoots come up out of the stump even. And so multiple, multiple children. And so I don't know what that looks like, but I read that this morning and I was like, oh, okay, that's, thanks. That's, you know, kind of encouraging, but, um, but I sort of just set it aside. I usually respond to it and kind of delete it, but I left it in my inbox. And so then all this happens and Sarah calls um, Stephanie Sarf, who, who graciously does some work for us. And she, she gets us into the doctor in Buffalo to figure out what's going on because she's in such pain. And, and after about an hour and a half of that, and she likens it, for, for women that are pregnant or that have been pregnant, she likens it to being in labor for an hour and a half straight contractions, no breaks, just straight contractions. That's just like, that's what it feels like. I, I don't know if you passed a kidney stone. I would think that it would be something similar to that, just very excruciating. For an hour and a half, it just went on and on and on and on. And... Um, so we go to the doctor and we meet with the doctor. We, we get an ultrasound and she has a cyst in her ovary that's the size of, of a tennis ball. Just huge. And the reason that it hurts so bad is that, the, that her ovary had turned over on itself maybe a couple times or at least once and the blood flow is being cut off. And so it hurts. It just, it just kills. And the doctor said, she had some blood work done and the doctor said, okay, if you, know, if you are pregnant, just because you said it's getting close to the end of the month, if you are pregnant and this thing gets bigger, we're going to have to go in and we're going to have to move it back over on itself so that it doesn't, um, so that it doesn't die, the ovary doesn't die. said, if you are pregnant and we have to do that, the baby will die. I just want you to know that. And so we leave, not really knowing for sure if she's pregnant or not. We leave, and as we're driving home, we're just, uh, we, we get a call from the doctor, yes, you are pregnant. We, we rejoice in that. Thank you, God. And uh, go to youth group that night, and... Um, on my way home, God just brings, I'm like, I want to pray, I want to seek you before we leave. And uh, in the morning, we have an appointment at like 8 o'clock, we need to leave at 7.30. And so, I want to pray, I want to pray with Sarah, and God just brings me to call some, some brothers, not everyone that's close, but a number of brothers and some sisters to come and just say, hey, we're going to pray at 7.15. If you can make it, great. If you can't, that's okay. And, and, uh, and most of them came and, and just prayed. And we prayed specifically. We prayed for specific things. We want to see God move. And we prayed for peace. That was the first thing that was prayed over. Peace. God, give them peace. Peace that transcends all understanding. Give them peace. We prayed also for healing, that the cyst would be gone. 
that it would be shrunk, that it wouldn't be more, that we might be able to proclaim the excellences of your name because yesterday it was there, size of a tennis ball, today it's gone. We prayed, for heal- we prayed for life for the baby. God, ultimately, if this cyst remains, we want this baby to live as you have given, already conceived the child within Sarah. And, and then lastly, God, we want to be able to minister to someone this morning as we go. Those are the four things that we pray. And God answers every single one of them outside of the cyst being gone. But it shrunk considerably to the point where the doctor's like, you know, I think we'll be okay. I think things are going to be okay. Let's just kind of see. Let's just kind of monitor, see how it goes. Let's just kind of be on, on rest at 25% of life or whatever for there's a long time. Um, but, uh, but God answers every one of those prayers. And so we come home and we can just rejoice in that. And God has still given life, and so we're believing for that. And, and, and God brings us even to be able to minister to a woman. Sarah loves to crochet. This woman's crocheting, and she's making this nice blanket. And so they kind of hit it off. And, hey, do you, you know, what's this for? Are you making that for someone? And she proceeds to just pour her heart. She says, yeah, the last time I crocheted this blanket, I started on it. It was a while ago. That, that year, my husband died, my son died, and my brother died. overwhelmed with sorrow. And uh, it's like, I've, so I've started, I've started uh, making this again and, and so we just, get to, we just get to pray over her and encourage her. It's awesome when God answers prayers. And then I come home that night. It's like 11.30 and I start doing a little bit more work and I open that psalm, I open that psalm that that brother sent to me not knowing any of this. He didn't know any of this stuff. Let me read it again. He says, if I can find it. He says, your wife. So we're thinking, okay, tomorrow we need to go. So excuse me, this is Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Tomorrow we need to go in and we need to have another ultrasound to see what's happened. If it's gotten bigger or if it's turned over on itself again, we need to go in there and and the baby's going to die. And then I open, so I'm thinking about that, and I open this. And it says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children, like olive shoots, are on your table. Behold, thus shall. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And uh, he's still given life. And so, want to be able to enter you guys into that with us? So that, Lord willing, when this baby is born... We can rejoice in his greatness together. And we can testify of what he has done today, not only before. And maybe you're, maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, who is this God that we worship? Who is this God that you worship? I'm, I'm a visitor. I don't even know. This is the first time I've been here. I'm a, or, or I definitely don't worship the God you do. Maybe that's your question. Let me read the the last verse of this psalm that we're going to dive into. It says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. What's the epitome of God's goodness to us? What's the epitome of God's goodness to us? Life in himself. Life in his son. It says, I shall sing aloud of your righteousness. What is your righteousness, God? Romans 1, 16 and 17. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power. I'm not ashamed of the good news of what God has done. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and the Gentile. All people. It is the power of God. And it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed to us. We see the righteousness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we get to sing of. In John 14, 9, Philip says to Jesus as they're spending time together, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said, how long have I been, have I been with you this long and still you don't know? Still you don't know me, Philip. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you think, well, who is this God that we worship? Jesus. In Isaiah 53, Jesus, um, it's a prophecy about Jesus, and, and it says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous. Think about that tension, member. We are, we are wanting to take praise and glory to God, and we are wanting to shift it to something else. And he says, My servant, the righteous one, will make many to be accounted as righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their sins. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 9, Paul speaks of not wanting a righteousness of his own, but a righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that comes through faith in him. So this is the righteousness of God that we get to sing of, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the power for salvation, which is Jesus making us righteous because he bears our iniquities. We get to sing of that praise. I'm, I'm going to read Colossians 1, just kind of in conclusion. I just want to read this over us that we might see even greater depths of that as we try to answer that question. Who is this God that we worship? I and the Father are one. And we see this again. We see in verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image. He's the one that we see of the invisible God, the one that we cannot see. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him, by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and all things are created for him, for Jesus. And he is the head. He is the beginning. He is the head of the body. Excuse me. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from among the dead says that in everything he might be preeminent he might have preeminence over everything says for in him the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him through jesus to reconcile to himself all things god reconciles all things to himself through jesus making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, we see that. The cross of Christ gives us peace, brings us to be in union again with God. And then he says, for those of you who are believers in this room, those of you that love God, he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you had taken the praise that was due to God and you had given it to something lesser glory, something of lesser glory. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He is now reconciled in his body of flesh. By what? By his death. In order, okay, so this is why he did that. You were once alienated. He has reconciled himself. He has, he has brought union again, brought atonement. He has reconciled us to himself. You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is what Jesus has done for those of you that believe. It says, if indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed over all creation. This is the God that we worship. And if you're wondering that question, who is this God that we worship? I don't know him. There is hope. Praise God that he has brought you here today to be with us, that, that we might exalt God and that you might see that exaltation, that he might show himself to you, that the Spirit of God might even now be working in you. To believe, to believe in what? Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the one who has died, the one who has reconciled, the one who makes us holy and blameless and above reproach as we continue to be faithful to him, as we continue to worship and to sing his praise. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the, the ushers forward. I want to give us some time just to, to reflect on the glory of God. As these psalms have been written, to sing, to meditate, to speak, that we might give expression of who God is, what he has done, that we might be brought to remember and to speak of those things. We can express those. And as we speak those things, God shapes us. He shapes our minds. And if I can have the worship team come forward as well. We're going to have some time. So we're going to pass the plates through. And I just encourage you guys to, to, to meditate on the glory of God. To maybe just to read through Psalm 145. To exalt him for who he is. The God who is worthy of our worship and all of our praise. So let's, let's pray. God, we praise you that we can give our worship unto you. We praise you, God, that we can know you. We praise you that, that we can be in union with you because of what you have done, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you might show us greater depths of the love that you have for us, what you have done for us, that we might praise and exalt you for who you are, God. And as we now desire to, to give of what you have so freely given to us, we, want to, we just ask that you would be blessed in our offering financially, God, and that you, would be, that you would be blessed in our worship unto you. We praise you, Lord God. Have your way among us. In the name of Jesus, amen.